Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Typically, I have two objectives in the cases I present you. First, I want to utilize my voice to speak out for those silenced by another, in hope of justice being served in their case. The unfortunate truth behind evil acts against one person by another is that sometimes the perpetrator gets away with it. This is why my second objective is always to let the world hear the story. The story of a person just like you and I who met an unfortunate and unnecessary fate. A story that even for just a few minutes, many people around the world are pausing to hear. With that in mind, I present to you the story of Alvira Johnson and her seven children. There are two possibilities in this case. Either they were murdered, or they met their untimely fate in an accident. Instead of convincing you of one or the other, I will let you come to your own conclusion, but I do ask this of you. Remember their story. Albin and Elvira Johnson married around 1923 in Chisago County, Minnesota. Elvira's parents weren't very keen on the marriage, as she was their youngest of four daughters at 19, while Albin was 36, 17 years her senior. Both were born to Swedish immigrants. Albin was described as the typical farmer and woodsman. He was a very strong man with large hands and could always be seen wearing blue overhauls over his dark suit with a woodsman's cap on. He stood at a very tall six foot three inches. Later, a neighbor would recall Albin as a quiet, introverted man who never said a word. His niece described him as a selfish man and later had this to say about him. When he went to town, the storekeepers, who knew the family was poor, would send candy home with him for the kids. He would eat the candy himself and throw the bag away before he got home. Elvira was quite pretty, with blonde hair, blue eyes, and dimples. She was remembered as being a gentle character whose love and care for her children and home were second to none. By the time 1933 rolled around for the Johnsons, now 46 and 29 years old, they've had seven children together, and it was rumored that one more was on the way. 
Harold is 10, Clifford 9, Kenneth 7, Dorothy 5, Bernice 4, Lester 2, and James is 4 months old. It's common knowledge around the town at this time that the family isn't very well off. One friend of 10-year-old Harold remembered them playing together. He was two years her senior. She said, Often mother would scold me for eating too much when we were visiting them, as they were poor and didn't have much. But everything tasted so good. Also, I couldn't understand why Santa didn't leave them anything at Christmas, especially when their need was so great. According to the 1930 census, Albin was a farmer and the sole breadwinner for his family. However, what that census doesn't show is that he struggled to provide for his family. Keep in mind, this is during the Great Depression. However, the farm that Albin worked at was owned by his father, who he rented his house from. Emil Johnson, Albin's father, was a well-respected man around town who built the Lutheran church in Harris alongside his brother. As a possible move from his father showing tough love to a disappointing son, by April of 1933, he was evicted and his family from the farmhouse. Early Tuesday morning, 3 a.m., on April 10, 1933, freshly fallen snow surrounds the Johnson's farmhouse. The dark night air is chilly, and outside the house there is a flatbed truck packed full of all of the family's belongings. Later this day, the family is going to be moving into a new home. At least that was the plan. Alvira is sleeping with four-month-old James in one room. Ten-year-old Harold is sleeping in the kitchen with Alvin, and the remaining five children are asleep in another room. It is believed that the family were sleeping on makeshift beds, basically blankets on the floor, as this was the last night they were to be sleeping in this house. It's later reported by a neighbor that around this time they hear what sounds like an automobile driving off from the farmhouse. Shortly after, Ragnar Krantz was sound asleep in his home about a half a mile down the road. At 3.30 a.m., his five-year-old son wakes up because he sees orange light flickering like little waves on the walls in his room. As he reaches downstairs, he meets his mother who also woke up from the flickering light. Together they wake up Ragnar, who calls both the Harris and Rush City Fire Departments before rushing over to the farmhouse. He says, After giving the alarm, I drove over to the Johnson place as fast as I could get there. But the house by that time was almost totally destroyed. Only one corner remained standing, and after a short while that crumbled too. When Chief Hansen arrives at the scene, there are already four neighbors present. He immediately calls for the searching of the outbuildings and the surrounding fields, hoping to find family members who have fled the fire. No such person was found. As the fire burned down, a body could be seen in the embers. Fresh tire tracks were found leading away from the farmhouse, still being able to be seen in the snow that fell that night. Soon a gas can is discovered, and the chief quickly believes that it may have been used to start the fire. Later, the origin of the fire was believed to have been in the kitchen, near the stove. By 4 p.m. the next day, 
the remains of Alvira and her seven children were found and positively identified. Ten-year-old Harold was found in the basement, as the home's basement only extended under the kitchen. They believe this is where Alvin's body remains would soon be found. Officially, his remains were never found. This appeared in the North Branch paper on April 13, 1933. This terrible tragedy, which has taken eight lives and leaves the fate of the missing father a mystery, has left the community horror-stricken at the terrible fate of this mother and the seven children. So where is Albin? It's a good question. Deputy Coroner A.O. Stark of Harris was reported to have said, I went through every bit of the ruins myself, and I am certain, as I can be, that Albin Johnson's body is not there. Immediately after the fire, many people in the community speculated that Albin snapped, killing his family and lighting the home on fire before killing himself close by. Over the next few days, more than 50 people searched a small lake and woods near their home for Albin's remains. This search quickly grew to over 300 people by the following week as they combed St. Crocs River for about six miles. Still, no Albin. On April 15th, Chisago County Attorney S. Barnard Winberg launched an investigation to determine if the eight were slain prior to the fire. Unfortunately, the results of this investigation was never publicly shared. To this day, the coroner's report and sheriff's report seem to have been misplaced. The Minnesota Historical Society in St. Paul and the Chisago County Courthouse point fingers at each other as being the one to have the information. Some people in the community believed that the victims had all been beheaded, while others believed they were all shot. It is important to note that there were two pistols and a rifle found among the ruins. Alvira's parents were living with their daughter Frida at the time of the fire, and received word of the fire on the morning of April 11th. Her sister Frida was so distraught that she started screaming for a long time and quickly became inconsolable. This tragedy hit hard for Alvira's parents and her entire family. They hired a private detective using all the money they had and offered up an award of $50 for information leading to the whereabouts of Alvin. A detective came and knocked on the door, and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask... Did you kill Renee? 
If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's about this time that investigators conclude that Albin is responsible for this fire and murder. County officials indicted him for first-degree murder on October 20, 1933. During their investigation, they found that Albin was last seen the evening before the fire in both Harris and Rush City. They noted that he did not pay the rent of $25 for the new place in Rush City. He had to borrow the money from his brother-in-law, Matt Scherer. Police began collecting theories on a motive for why Albin could have murdered his family. Quickly, they were drawn to the fact that up until this time, Albin was unable to provide entirely for his family. It is clear he had been experiencing hard times, and his own father had evicted him ten days earlier. He struggled to make a living as a farmer, and his brother-in-law wasn't able to get Albin a job where he worked at the Rush City flour mill. Essentially, Albin was about to move his possibly soon-to-be ten-person family to another home on borrowed money and he didn't have a job lined up. Albin was described as a proud man, so in their mind, it wasn't too far of a stretch to see a motive for him, not having the means to support his family and him resulting to drastic measures. Many believe that Albin hopped onto the midnight train that ran through Rush City and fled into Canada where he worked previously as a logger. The Great Depression was happening, so it was common for men to mix in with the millions of people out of work at the time, riding the rails for opportunity. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police were involved and were tipped off about Albin possibly fleeing there. The reports show that one person in Canada reported seeing Albin. However, the RCMP were unable to validate that claim, as the person had already moved on out of the city. Albin's brother-in-law, Harry Galpin, had suggested that Albin was innocent from day one. Harry was a well-known businessman in St. Paul and believed that the police were crooked and corrupt, ultimately believing that they had messed up the investigation as he believed that Albin died in the fire with his family. He wrote an eight-page letter to the newspaper three years after the fire. It read, These charges ranged from perjury to destruction of evidence to incompetence and negligence, and to railroading a murder indictment against a man known to be dead to cover up the ghostly blunder of the deputy coroner who had cast Johnson's remains outside the foundation where they were trampled underfoot by spectators. Harry and his family insisted that they found bones in a distant part of the basement that belonged to Albin. They called for a burial certificate to be issued so the family could bury these bones. However, no such certificate was granted. He believed the private detective and deputy sheriff used the case as an excuse to take a 4,000-mile trip to Canada in search of Albin. The trip cost the county hundreds of dollars and turned up no evidence. In the St. Paul Dispatch the day after the fire, Coroner L. N. Westberg of Center City stated, We have no evidence to indicate that the fire might have been planned. 
True, Johnson is still missing. But so far as we can learn, he was rational and fully intended to move. The day before the fire, Alpin told his brother-in-law, Fred Peterson, he was practically set to move. Over the years, there have been a few theories, rumors, and facts that point to Alpin being innocent. One of the strongest for me is that Alpin's dog was left behind. Many people reported that they witnessed his dog returning to the field near the house several days after he survived the fire. I am not sure Alvin would have left his dog behind, but maybe if he reached the point that he would do this to his family, he might. Alvin's brothers were rumored to have been very rough and tough, very mean, as many people in the community feared them. Some people believed there was an argument between them and Alvin, which resulting in him being killed. They believed the brothers covered it up by killing the family and staging it to look like Alvin was responsible so as they themselves would not be charged in his death. The main two theories of the cause of death of the family members were that they were strangled, beheaded, or shot. With their bodies being found still in the sleeping position, it's unlikely that this happened without others waking up. If the family was killed prior to the fire, I would expect it to be from either poison or being beaten to death, as to not wake other people still sleeping in the other rooms. Unfortunately, the investigation results looking into the cause of death was never released. But I question if an indictment would have happened for Albin if they found that the family died in the fire. Could the family of nine sleep through a fire? A person will typically die of smoke inhalation between two to ten minutes from the start of a fire. On the day of the fire, it was cold and snowing, so the windows would have been closed, meaning that less oxygen would be in the air during the fire. Smoke inhalation is the most common cause of death for indoor fires. Something to keep in mind is that at the time of the fire, all of the family's belongings were packed outside the house they were to be moving the next day. It seems the family were sleeping on what sounded like blankets on the floor. I argue that because of this, they would be slightly less exposed to the gas and fumes from the smoke versus if they were up higher in a normal bed. I would suspect this to cause at least one of them to wake up because of a higher response time, but that doesn't seem to have happened. In the aftermath of the house fire that claimed the lives of at least eight people, many people in Chisago County quickly let the event fade from memory. Many residents believed and feared that Alvin would return for revenge on those people talking about the deaths of Alvira and her seven children. The funeral for Elvira and her children was held on the following Saturday in the Rush City Lutheran Church that the family grew up in. Over 350 people were in attendance. All seven children and Elvira were buried together in a single casket. Their resting place can be found in the cemetery of First Lutheran Church in Rush City. Their stone reads, Elvira Lundine Johnson and her seven children died April 10th, 1933. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.